The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the business show that's designed to help small business owners cope with a myriad of challenges that face us all every day. Studies show that 97% of all businesses fail within 10 years and over 80% fail in the first five years. But of those businesses, new businesses, who have business coaches or engage business and marketing consultants, over 80% succeed. This demonstrates that the failure of businesses is not because the entrepreneurs don't have great product or services. 99% of the time, they do. Businesses fail because having a great product and having the money to run the business is only 10 to 15% of being successful. The business model, the business strategy, the marketing strategy, and a host of other areas make up the critical 85 to 90% of what it takes to be successful. And by successful, I, I don't mean, you know, just making wages. I know a lot of people who buy a business work their butts off 10 hours a day, seven days a week, and don't earn any more money than they would if they were working for somebody. That's just a lot of stress for no gain. Success is growing a business at more than, say, 15% a year. Then you've got a business. We're also here to help small businesses and startups get venture capital. Today, you can't get it from the banks, and only about 5% of businesses raise money from investors. Why? Because most entrepreneurs who want funding send potential investors business plans that are 65 pages long, and investors are not interested. They don't have time. I know a major um, VC who gets 100 business plans a day. I mean, at 60 pages each, that's 6,000 pages. He's not going to read them. So they don't want a business plan. They want an investor plan. Now, in order for us to be able to help you, we need to know what you think. I want you to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and let me know what you want me to talk about on the program or who you would like me to interview. We will do everything we can to accommodate you. Last night, I jotted down half a dozen points that I think are really important for all business people to keep abreast of. They're not the only ones that are, you know, challenge us every day. There are many, many, many more, but these are important. These issues are complex and highlight why we need to work on our business and not in our business a significant part of the time. Now, the first issue is technology. Utilising and keeping up with changes in technology is no longer merely an option. 
it's a real necessity. I've spoken to a couple of people in the last couple of programs that are in technology that are doing amazing things that can help all of us be better in business. Technological resources bring huge advantages to any business, improving everything from distribution and sales, customer service, speeding up every single aspect of your work. To stay competitive, you need to perfect your computer and technology skills so that you can keep up with the ever-changing resources that are available. It's a time-consuming endeavour. Thoughtful planning is necessary. You need to sit down with your staff and talk about what pieces of technology they recommend that can help you do your business better. You know, a simple Google search for keeping up with technology will produce enough results to get you well on the way. The second issue is attracting and keeping employees. It's very important to make sure that you get the best people for your business. You know, you've got to hire people that know more about their area than you do. And a lot of, a lot of bosses try to make sure that people they hire are subordinate to them and not. Well, that's dumb. You can only go backwards. So you need to be prepared to pay good dollars for great people. Don't settle for just somebody or an anybody. Make sure they're the best person you can get for the job. My best um, result from looking for staff have been through online postings. And you know, finding the right person is much more difficult than keeping them. And if a company's got a good reputation, potential employees seek you out Keeping employees, it's about relating to and understand what, understanding what motivates them in the first place. Not everybody's motivated by money. Not everybody's motivated by the same issues. You know, it may be, um, it may be flexibility. It could be opportunity. It could be a whole range of things. So you need to determine what those are and then make sure that you accommodate them. Empower them to make decisions on their own and to feel that they're a valuable part of the team, not just there to make up the numbers. The third consideration is making sure that you maximise your professional knowledge. You know, it's getting increasingly difficult to differentiate your business from your competitors. It's an absolute necessity and a professional responsibility to grow your business by maximising your knowledge. That means reading business books, not only on your subject or your profession, but across a range of professions. There may be a lot of good things happening in other businesses that you can apply to your business. And to keep up with changes in every aspect of your business. If you're a marketer and you're running a business, you still need to know about changes in insurance and accounting systems and computer systems and project management. You need to know all that stuff, whether or not you like it or whether you don't. You need to stay connected with social, political issues so that you can participate in conversations with your customers and to understand what's impacting their lives and their business. You also need to consider initiatives that are being taken in other industries. I mentioned this a second ago. It is really important. The number of times that I'll adapt 
something that's happening in one industry to a totally different industry is very frequent these days. If it works for one, it usually will work for the other. And I understand that you know, finding time is always an issue. I mean, I'm as busy as hell, but it's about priorities. You know, attending conferences, I'm fortunate that I get to speak at a lot of conferences, so I get to see a lot of people and I get to keep up with information. But you need to do the same. There are also a stack of webinars. I get ads for webinars every day on my email. So you need to spend one or two hours a week surfing the internet, reading books, trade magazines, getting involved in webinars. Make sure you keep abreast of the changes. And this is going to become more and more important because things are changing faster and faster. And only the people that are totally equipped will ever succeed. The fourth consideration is maximising your value proposition. You know, the critical issue in business is ensuring that you can communicate the value of your product or service to your client. You know, the same product or service may have a different value proposition to different clients. You need to understand that. So that means that you need to understand what makes your clients tick, what their demands are. You know, you only have value if the client perceives that what you're doing is of value to them. Now, you might do business with two companies next door to each other and the value proposition that they're seeking may be totally different. And clients want to know that you have the skills and the knowledge to, you know, deliver the product on time, to have excellent backup service, to be able to complete a project on time if that's what you do and on budget as well as bringing new creative ideas to the table to help them in their business. It's not only about you delivering them an immediate solution. You need to keep ahead of the solutions for them that they're going to need in the future. An important strategy in offering, an important strategy in offering value is to evaluate all that you have to offer, you need to thoroughly understand your skills and abilities, and not only with the product that you're delivering, but how the peripheral of that product, how they might help your client. Do you know anything that your competitors don't know, or are you doing anything that your competitors don't do? Now, if the answer is nothing, you need to create a powerful difference, no matter how similar your business is to a competitor, even if it's exactly the same. With a little creativity, you can totally differentiate yourself. This is why it's important to work on your business and not in it, and to hire consultants that are not too close to your industry and can look at your business holistically. Start with your credentials. Your educational background, certificate, um, references, um, endorsements, length of experience, all of those things that establish a value to clients and give you credibility. You should see if you can create a niche, something that your competitors aren't doing. Becoming an expert in specific areas gives you a lot more value from your client's perspective. The fifth consideration is looking after staff. In order to retain staff and maximise loyalty, their commitment, 
which then affects productivity. You've got to continue to give them education opportunities. You need to provide ongoing training, flexible work schedules, possibly even telecommuting. Finding, mentoring and growing employees is a significant responsibility. It's a vicious circle, of course. Grow the business, you need more staff. More staff means higher costs. Doesn't necessarily immediately translate to more business or more profit. It's a never-ending, but it's a necessary process whether your company is a huge one or a small one. And the final element that I thought of last night was keeping current. You know, whether your challenge is keeping up with technology or keeping qualified employees, um, discovering new ways to energise your product or your service, or any of the millions of challenges that we seem to get hit with every day, managing the business side of your business is actually much more important than the product or creative side. Building a successful business is complex. It has much less to do with your product or service and much, much more to do about managing the business and the business process. Remember, you know, I began this program by saying that your product or service is only about 10 to 15% of the success of running a business. Most of us have got that 10 to 15% right. We know our product, we know our service, we know we're good at it. We've got that bit locked. It's the 85% that we're probably not that interested in that um, causes us the grief and causes the the problems with the company. So that's it. If you have something you want to talk to me about, please don't hesitate to send me an email. And if you have a question concerning any specific element of your business, if I answer it on air, I will send you a copy of my bestseller, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition. Or if you already have that, I'll send you a copy of Marketing Magic, a book I wrote with Brian Tracy, Robert Bly, Jay Conrad Levinson and 14 other great marketers, which is also a fantastic book. And I'll be back after this short break with the first guest, Donald Cooper, who began his business career at five, earning five cents an an hour and now to the world improving bottom lines i'll be back in the moment with more of the bob pritchard business radio show for entrepreneurs when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary people and what makes them tick. Most extraordinary people that I've ever met began life in average, ordinary circumstances, just like the most of us. What is it that makes them interesting, unusual, and great? Well, this is the segment where we try to find out. My guest today in this segment is Donald Cooper, who I reached in Toronto this afternoon. Donald began his career at age five, sweeping the floor in his family's business for just five cents a day. Long days and low pay. That is excellent training for most entrepreneurs. After he earned his undergraduate degree in business and an MBA, he worked for 18 years in the Cooper family business, legendary for making hockey equipment. At 43, he left the business and became an award-winning fashion retailer. In three years, he redefined the customer experience and won seven awards for excellence in marketing, service, and business innovation. Donald now travels the world, adding more value to his customers' bottom lines and to their lives. Hi, Donald. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Good day, Bob. It's wonderful to be with you. Oz is one of my favorite places on the planet and now the home of my daughter who went to Cambridge University and fell in love with an Aussie guy and vacated the premises off to Sydney. So uh, for many reasons, I, I have a very special heartfelt connection with the, the wonderful folks of Australia. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't get back to Australia as often. I live in California and I lived there for 25 years now. You live in now. California. 25 well, I years. I should have known I should have known from that California accent. <laughs> yeah, the accent doesn't go away, does it, despite all that time. No. Um, Donald, you've been a, both a world-class manufacturer and an award-winning retailer, and now you coach businesses around the world on how to sell more and manage smarter, grow the bottom line, and still have a life. Um, what have you discovered are the basic challenges that are faced by small business today? Uh, Bob, one of the biggest challenges, and you're right, I've been on both sides of the fence, been a manufacturer, been a retailer, uh, both sides of that uh, of that business fence, and as uh, they say, the grass often looks greener on the other side of the fence, and sure. sometimes it is, but the water bill is higher. <laughs> one, one, of the big, one of the big issues uh, that I find in businesses, small, medium, and large, is uh, that... Uh, Everyone is not singing from the same hymn sheet. My grandma Cooper, bless her heart, she never ran a business and never gave a speech, never coached anybody on business. But grandma nailed business leadership in one sentence. People write books two inches thick on this subject. Grandma did it in one sentence. 
when she used to say to our dysfunctional family, which makes us no different from any other family, <laughs> I suppose, Grandma used to say, we need to get everybody singing from the same hymn sheet. And, and here's what typically happens in, in most businesses, certainly the ones around the world that I've worked in in about 40 different industries. Problem number one, there is no damn hymn sheet. There's no hymn sheet, but you should all sing from it. All you employees should all sing from the hymn sheet that doesn't exist. Yeah. Number two, uh, possibility is that there is a hymn sheet, but it's seen only by the top two people in the company, and they think <laughs> it's nobody else's business to see the secret hymn sheet, but you should all sing from it. Number three possibility is that we hand out a different hymn sheet to everyone in the form of different instructions, different urgencies, mandates, priorities, projects, and you and I work for the same company, and we look over each other's shoulder at our completely different hymn sheets, and we ask the musical question, what the heck's going on here? And the good people leave, and the bad ones take, I don't give a damn pills, and keep showing up. <laughs> the fourth, the fourth you, we've all seen it. Yeah, the, fourth possi- the fourth possibility is that we hired a consultant to write our hymn sheet, and nobody understands a word of it. And And so... The question is, for all of my audiences and for my clients, uh, is, uh, uh, is everyone singing from the same hymn sheet in your business? So how do you get everybody singing from the same hymn sheet if there isn't one? <laughs> well, we, we need to have one. And, right. and it, it all has to do with clarity. And, and there's lots of opinions about what is the most important job for a business owner, leader, or manager, but I think that it's so obvious that, there, that, that it shouldn't be a, a, a challenge to figure it out. Our first job is clarity. Right. The first job of any business owner, leader, or manager is clarity. So, specifically about five things. What do we, first of all, to be clear, what do we commit to deliver? What's the extraordinary value and customer experience that we commit? To always deliver yep. uh, value and experiences that will clearly differentiate us, make us famous, uh, grab our target customers, grab their minds, their hearts, and their wallets, and, and, and grow our bottom line. So first of all, what do we commit to deliver? Number two, what do we commit to become? What's this business going to be like, look like, function like in three to five years? No point in thinking out any further than three to five years, in my opinion. So number one, what do we commit to deliver? Number two, what do we commit to become? Number three, how are we going to get there to that to that three to five year future? Number four, what's the extraordinary bottom line that we commit to generate? And number five, how do we commit to behave along the way, which is our values, our ethics, and our standards? And most businesses simply lack that kind of clarity, and it's killing them. I see it over and over Again, if the people at the top of the organization are not clear about those five things, who else in the company could possibly be? And the answer is nobody. So looking for a minute about what we commit to become, how do we anticipate the future? Well, what most people don't realize, and I've spent years noodling this through, what most people don't realize is that there's actually two kinds of future. There's future number one, which is the future that will happen, all the stuff that will happen in the future over which we have no control. 
you know, war, pestilence, yeah. uh, you know, government whatever, regulation, technology, <laughs> all that, yeah, all that stuff. So number one is the future over which we have no control, and that is the future that we spend all our time thinking about, worrying about, so that we have no time to think about future number two. And future number two is the future that we could choose to proactively create in spite of all the stuff that's, that's going on. Thomas Edison did not say, I don't know if this electricity thing will catch on or not. I'll put the light bulb on the back burner. No, he invented the light bulb, and then he created the Edison Electric Company to bring electricity to people's homes so that they could need his light bulb. And, uh, oh, by the way, the Edison Electric Company is today known as General Electric, Electric. GE. You never know what might happen if you just get off your behind and get started with something. It could end up being quite quite wonderful. Every large business started off as a small small business. business. Switching gears for a moment, uh, let's look at the commitment to deliver compelling customer value and services. Um, How do we do that? in an over-serviced and pretty cynical marketplace? Uh, we do it with one simple shift in our thinking, Bob, and it's this. Most businesses make the mistake of defining themselves by what they sell and by how and where they have always done business. So it's all about them, and it's all about yesterday. And what I do working with audiences and clients is to get them to simply redefine their business, not by what they sell, or by how and where they've always done business, but by how they help people. My favorite example is ice boxes. And for, for, for the young people listening, ask some old person what an ice box is. It's what we had before refrigerators. Yeah. And the people who made ice boxes in the late 1800s and the early 1900s made a ton of money. Everybody needed an ice box. But if they define themselves by what they made, we make ice boxes sink or swim. Then they were put out of business starting in 1917, put out of business by that pesky darn refrigerator, ice boxes at home. Hmm, missed that one. (laughs) But if they had simply defined themselves by how they help people, it's this easy. Help me finish this sentence. We are in the business of helping people make food last longer. Yeah. It is so simple and so profound. So then you go, okay, that's, you define yourself by how we help people, and then we ask two simple but powerful questions. Number one, what kind of help do they need? What products do they need? What services? What help? What coaching? What information? What reminders? What kind of help? So many business owners say to me, my customers need so much help, they're driving me crazy. How about, praise God, they need help. If they don't need help, they don't need us. And the more help they need, the more we can deliver and the more they need us, and the more we can add to our top line and our bottom line and to their lives. Uh, so, so, so question. So first, define yourself by how you help. Number two, make a list of all the help they need. And then number, uh, uh, question number two, or step number three, uh, say, how can we actually deliver some of that help better than our competitors? One, Just, two, three steps. It's so simple. Just out of interest, um, I grew up dirt poor, and uh, in the fo- not in the 40s, at home we still had an ice box. We did we we didn't have refrigerators or television or anything, but we did have an ice box. I remember yeah. the guy coming around delivering the ice quite well. Um, yeah, and, and when you and I were kids, a treat was when the guy took the ice pick and he and, and he he jabbed 
a big chunk of ice to yep. cut off the 25 pounds of ice or 30 pounds of ice that we needed, their little shards of, of ice would fly off onto the ground. And, and I'd run, my brother and I, we'd run and grab those, and wipe the dirt off on our, on our equally dirty suck. pants, yep. and pop that sucker into our mouth, and that was a treat when That's we were right, kids. it was, you're right. Now, hey. Is there such a thing as customer loyalty anymore? Um, a lot of people don't believe there is, and I, d- I believe there's not because they don't earn it. <laughs> Bob, that's that's one of the great myths in business. I hear this from business uh, owners and clients all the time. No such thing as customer loyalty anymore. God's making people differently. Man, if you're going to blame somebody else for your problems, you may as well go right to the top. Right. But the truth is, the truth is that every single one of us in both our business and our personal lives, we are searching, desperately searching for heroes to be loyal to, businesses that we can trust to help us to be loyal to. So while we are desperately searching for businesses to be loyal to, every business says there's no such thing as loyalty anymore. It's just goofy. Flies in the face of human reality. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, you talk to business leaders about being a smarter manager, growing their business and having a life, but it's pretty difficult to have a real life these days, isn't it, When in this tough environment and when you're trying to run and grow a business? Bob, absolutely it's difficult, but it's also absolutely necessary. It's necessary for your family, it's necessary for your own creativity, and it's necessary for your soul. It's, it's I, the thing I say to, to uh, folks is don't make your business your neat fort, N-E-A-T, yep. neat fort. When we were kids, we all built neat forts. Yep. We put a blanket over the dining room table and chairs. We stole a cookie out of the kitchen, and we climbed under the dining room table into our neat fort, and we were safe from the world. If we were more adventurous and we lived near a forest, we built a tree fort maybe or whatever yep. it was, yep. but we, 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 we all had a neat fort where we went to hide from reality, to create some, some little kind of fantasy thing. But business is where we need to go to be engaged in reality. If you're going to work to hide from reality, you're in big trouble. And I work with lots of clients who have made their business their neat fort. It's where they go to hide from their spouse, from their kids, from all the other things they could be on the planet. It is their neat fort, and they're going there to hide from reality, and if you're going to work to hide from reality, you and your business are in big trouble. So we still need a neat fort. We had them as kids, and as adults, you still need a neat fort. Get a cabin in the woods, get a tent in a canoe, get a motor home, train set in the basement. I, I, I don't a mistress in Miami. I'm not here to judge. We all need a neat fort. We all need a place to go and, and, and hide sometimes and yep. to rejuvenate and to re-energize. So don't make your business your neat fort. And, you know, we invite people. We invite people into our lives by marriage and birth. It's called a family. And usually by making promises to them. And the question is, with regard to our, to our family, uh, are we promise makers or, 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 sorry, promise keepers or promise breakers? And uh, I see that, that, that a lot. My mother, I'll never forget as, as a little kid hearing my mother say about my father, apparently home is where you go when you're tired of being nice to people. <laughs> she, said, she, said, she said, I just want to be treated like a customer. Bob, we have customers at home too. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's great to speak to you, Donald. 
And if you'd like to find out even more about Donald, go to his website, www.donaldcooper.com. And I'll be back for the last segment of the show after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary people and what makes them tick. You know, most extraordinary people that I've ever met began life in average, ordinary circumstances, just like most of us. What makes these few people really interesting, unusual and great? This is the segment where we try to find out. So in keeping with our policy of getting extraordinary guests, today we have another unusual story. My guest today in this segment is Jay Rankin, the author of Under the Neon Sky, a Las Vegas doorman story. Firstly, I just love the name of the book. Under the Neon Sky, I think is fantastic, and the cover... I think is unbelievable. It tells a story just on its own. If if I spotted it in a bookstore, I would pick it up just simply because of the cover. So let me tell you a few things about Jay. He has a master's degree in psychology. He worked in the locked units of psychiatric hospitals for four years. He worked as a probation officer at detention camps. He became a property developer and then produced and also reported on Las Vegas Business Week, which was a local weekly television show on ABC Las Vegas. Now, that's a pretty good story just up to that point. However, then his life got really interesting. He got a job at the MGM Grand Hotel for nine years, and on that amazing experience, he authored Under the Neon Sky. Hi, Jay. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you, Bob. Thank you for having me. I think that's the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> oh, great. Good. Now, I love Vegas, and I don't gamble at all, but I go there whenever I can. Are you a gambler? Not really a gambler. I, I, there was probably a time in my life when I first moved to the city. You know, I'd get in bed at 11 o'clock at night, and the city was just waking up, and things were were going crazy, and I thought, my God, what am I doing in bed? I uh, I'm in the center of the world of entertainment, and yeah. and for a while, you know, I I I played, I tried this, I tried that, but it it really wasn't in my nature because I was living there, and I and I knew my instincts told me that um, if you're going to live in this town, uh, you got to be careful not to fall through the cracks. Yeah, I think you know you realize that they don't build multi-billion-dollar casinos because people win. Exactly. <laughs> after, exactly. After you wrote the book, they still let you into the MGM Grand? <laughs> you know, I haven't tried yet. I hope so. <laughs> There's a couple of them that aren't talking to me anymore. But, but um, no, you know, it. it I, I think what I did in my story was tell what it was like on the other side of the fence. Sure, it, sure. it wasn't a, a gambling story or celebrity story or, or anything like that. It was... It was more about what it was like as an employee yeah. working uh, in a major hotel on the Strip. With a, with a master's in psychology, what led you to become a doorman in Vegas? I mean, what did the job entail? Well, it's kind of like your intro. It it, it was just uh, I turned right instead of left. Um, I I had had a couple contacts living and working in Las Vegas and. One of those contacts uh, said to me, he said, you know, Jay, uh, you ought to try this. There's a new hotel that they're building, and doormen make more money in tips than management. And um, you certainly know a few people. Wanted, why don't you give it a shot? So I did. And uh, lo and behold, out of 1,700 applications, they only needed nine guys, but I happened to be one of them. <laughs> Coming back to that money thing for a minute, I read somewhere once that the doorman at the um, um, plaza in New York declared an income of like $1.2 or something. Um, so do doormen make that good money? Well, they do or they did. I'm not sure how they do today because of the recession. You know, yeah. recession doesn't it, – it, it affects everything. But, but certainly I, I would imagine that doormen – can make very good money. One point two million, I've never heard of. Yeah. Um, but but we did do very very well. It it was really a matter of uh, the culture. I think in New York City, there's a set of cultures, sure. and in, sure. in San Francisco, another, and in Las Vegas, certainly, it's more of a soliciting type of a culture. Yeah. Uh, that's there. Yeah. I and bet you, I bet you've seen some amazing. We the market. Yeah, I bet you've seen some amazing things. Can you tell us about a few of them? Well, first of all, in Las Vegas, the money flows like a river. It, it, it's really a remarkable place where people don't behave anywhere in their lives like they do in Las Vegas. Um, if they're paying a lot at the gas pump or they go to the market, uh, and the bill is high, they might say something. They might say something about their electric bill. But in Las Vegas, there's something that seems to happen uh, when people's feet touch that Vegas soil where suddenly 
And I'm not sure what it is, whether it's the endorphins in the brain that say, <laughs> let's just forget about our life, let's go crazy, let's, let's do it all, let's behave in a way that we'll never behave again in our lives. And cash just seems like it doesn't mean anything in Las Vegas. So yeah. that being said, I've certainly seen a lot of people hurt themselves. Yep. I, I've seen people... Um, go to the ATM machines, which are placed strategically throughout casinos. Everywhere. I see. <laughs> yes, but you know, the key to all of that is the vulnerability. Uh, Las Vegas knows what it's doing, uh, in, in terms of business. Absolutely. They target and they lay things out. They know about human nature. Yep. Uh, they, they know about how long somebody can last on a slot machine or a crap table. And the and the ATMs are very close by. And on top of that, the key is that a lot of people don't don't take care of themselves, so they become thin. They become uh, there's a thin veil uh, of of intelligence <laughs> that begins to <laughs> to develop because they're not sleeping, they're not eating, they're yeah. drinking a lot of alcohol. Yeah. And of course, the place itself is full of electricity, so you're already pretty fried. <laughs> and then add gambling to that. And and I've seen a lot of people hurt themselves. I've seen a lot of relationships get damaged. And, uh, you know, it can be risky. Yeah. <laughs> What's the hardest it's, part of the job? That's a great question. For myself, on the other side of the fence, going through the training of a hotel that says, this is what we want, and by that I mean we don't really want our guests to leave. We want them to stay here. We want them to feel like everything they need is here. That being said, you need to treat these people but with kindness and respect. Well, that's a lot easier said than done because a lot of the people that we did deal with were intoxicated, sure. no sleep, lost yeah. a lot of money. They may have shown up Friday night looking terrific, clean, hair slicked back. Uh, but when they left, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how many times I noticed that the hair looked uh, and the clothes, everything was the same. They never showered. Yeah, the and then, and that look in their eyes, you know, they were angry. There was a lot of self-loathing, and they took it out on us. And we had to be kind and be nice. <laughs> Bloody hard them. to get a tip out of them. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it was part of the job, Bob. Yeah, it really sure. was. It, it was all about customer service, and yep. you know a lot about that. It, it was a lot about just swallowing it and being nice. And even um, if they flicked their cigarettes at us, you know, you smile. we had to say, thank you for coming and hope to see you again soon. Yeah. Um, Vegas is an extraordinary place. 800,000 people a week go to Vegas. Um, I go as often as possible. I love the place, and I don't gamble at all, but I, I just love it. Um, what are a few of the marketing strategies that um, Las Vegas uses to, to suck in 800,000 people a week? Well, that's a huge question, but then again, you, you're talking about the business side. So you're really talking about targets. 
if you just step back and look at the town, you'll see circus circus properties, and those are targeted and catered to families. Yes. There are convention facilities that are such big money makers that in the old days there was only one convention facility near the Las Vegas Hilton. Now all the hotels have their own convention buildings. Yeah, and they're great. And they are. They're terrific, and, and they, they, there's, there's no money that they hold back in building these things. They want to meet everybody's need. Yeah, they are wonderful so facilities. I give a lot so of speeches in Vegas, and uh, the facilities sure. are phenomenal. Yeah, and on top of that, you look at the Palm, and you look at the Hard Rock, and you look at Planet Hollywood. These are all targeted for younger people. Sure. You look at the Wynn. You look at the uh, um, Bellagio. These are targeted Venetian, you know, for mm-hmm. more upscale. Yep. Um, so, so there's a lot of targeting. There's a lot of cultures that they go after. They do a lot of marketing in Canada, a lot of marketing in Europe. Um, certainly the world is getting much smaller. You've now got gambling in a lot of other places in the world. So Vegas is trying to reinvent itself all the time. But it does stuff like that. You know, it really uh, advertises a, as a place of uh, you can live a, a secret life. Nobody will ever know. And a lot of girls. Well, the hookers, the sex, you know, that's always been a, a huge lure. But on there again, on a business level, uh, it's important. Yeah. Um, you know, I think for the people that live there, vice might control it because prostitution's illegal in Las Vegas. Mm. But it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Sure. And, and it's a very big gray area because it's such a lure. It's such a moneymaker. And they have a lot of shows, you know, for men and women. And some of the other techniques that they use are what they call secondary marketing. That if a big player comes in with his family, um, the goal of the hotel is for that player to sit at a table and play for as many hours as possible. And in the meantime, they will take his family personally Mm. shopping. They'll take him to play tennis. They'll take him to a movie. Yeah, they'll take great care of his wife or his kids, and uh, just so he sits there at the baccarat table and plays. So, who, who's better at customer service, Wall Street or the mob? <laughs> <laughs> great question. Well, I think both. Uh, you know, it, it's a close one. Wall Street certainly is is a bottom line corporate type of way of running a business. Uh, you've got shareholders. You report to your shareholders. It, the gambling is, it was no longer the bottom line. Um, it had to do with um, leasing space for stores, sure. uh, certainly the shows, souvenirs, food, uh, ticket sales, um, just everything that they could think of to generate money, including rooms. Well, yeah, now, if you go back to the mob days... They gave rooms away. They gave food away. They gave you souvenirs. Um, I had a good friend in in Atlantic City, and when he showed up, um, and those were the mob days. Mm. They were waiting in the lobby for him with a dozen roses for his wife. Yeah, and they had his initials on bathrobes in his room. He smoked cigarettes. They had a carton of his cigarettes. On the matches were his initials. 
what they wanted to do was basically make him feel like they were waiting for him. Yeah. This was his home. And they were to cater to him with his every whim, every need. And that was Mob. They knew his name. They knew his wife's first name. Um, they, they comped him everything. They begged him to take whatever he wanted. Uh, if he liked a, a particular 1965 French white wine, uh, they'd get him a case of it. So why do people give up their money so easily? You know, the only thing I can think of is endorphins. Yeah. And an endorphin is the, the very powerful chemical in the sure. brain that reacts when you do anything that feels good. I don't care if it's food, sex, um, whatever. your hobby, whatever feels good to you, you're feeling that way because of endorphins. Now, getting into things like Las Vegas, and this is where people get into trouble, an endorphin creates a pathway in the brain. And once that pathway is there, it doesn't go away. So people always want to go back because they, for whatever reason, some it's gambling, you know, some it's golf. But whatever the reason is, um, this is where people go. And I think that the endorphins are so strong that there's something about spending a lot of money where they just don't care. Yeah. They just want to have this feeling that they're special, that they're respected, that they're important, and Vegas is one of those few places that will definitely treat you like a king, no matter where you go in that town. Jay, I have to cut you off. It was great to speak with you. You've had a fantastic oh, life. Pleasure. I love it. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Jay and his book, Under the Neon Sky, go to his website, which is www.jjay. LasVegas.com That's www.jlasvegas.com And I'll be back for the last segment of the show after this short break. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. 
Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Show for Entrepreneurs. Firstly, I love Vegas. I love it. You can always find me at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. <laughs> um, but I want to correct an error that I made in the last segment. I gave Jay's um, email address as jlovegas.com. That's incorrect. So if you want to get more information on Jay or his book, Under the Neon Sky, the address is Jay's Las Vegas. That's J-A-Y-S Las Vegas. Not Jay, but jayslasvegas.com. Now, I get emails every week from all over the world, um, from five continents, in fact, but um, most of the emails are from the United States. But from now on, in each program, I'm going to answer at least one email a week from our international listeners. And the reason this segment's so popular is that um, irrespective of where you are in the world, the size of your business or whatever the hell you do, all our problems are the same. We all have the same issues. And uh, so if I'm answering something from a guy who's a panel beater, then it may well and probably will apply to your business as well. My first email is from Jeff Martin from Irvine, California, who writes, Dear Bob, thanks for your program. I get a lot of tips from it. My business is already seeing benefits. I've also bought a book. Good on you. What do you. When you talk about working on your business and not in your business, what do you mean by that? Jeff, you're already obviously working on your business because you're implementing changes and making a difference. You know, most people are too busy running their business or working in the factory or doing accounts or making sales to be able to stand back and have a hel- helicopter look at how the business operates, what's working and what's not working. You know, my mum used to say, don't just stand there, do something. Well, today... Don't just do something. Stand there. Have a good look at your business and how it operates and what you can improve. Take time to reflect almost as an outsider on every aspect of your business. The systems you use, could they be improved? Are you utilizing your staff the best way? Is there a better way to do your accounting? You know, how can I add value to my customers? All those things. You can take dramatic action to change things, but you can't unless you divorce yourself from the everyday activities and try to look at it with fresh eyes. And if your business has been doing the same stuff for generations or even for years, it's a sure bet that it really needs to be reviewed. I know literally hundreds of instances where an investment in technology has improved the efficiency, the productivity, and the return on investment of a company. Jeff, are you using all the technology that's available to help your business? That's the question you need to ask. Jeff, since you've got Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, I'm going to send you a copy of Marketing Magic, which I wrote with um, Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson, and Robert Bly. It's a great book. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This next question is from Martin Haywood from Melbourne, Australia. Australia's my old hometown. In fact, Melbourne's where I was born. Martin writes, I'm struggling with some things I heard you talk about regarding advertising. I don't quite get what you mean when you say that if your product is window frames, the product you're actually selling is views, or that hardware stores don't sell hardware, they sell solutions to problems. Yeah, I think it's the same with insurance, um, Martin. Insurance companies don't sell insurance, they sell peace of mind. So what you're selling is not necessarily what you're making. So couple of things you've got to remember. Firstly, the customer doesn't give a damn about you. They only care about them. And 
it's very seldom that they're buying what you're making. So, um, and two people who buy the same physical product may buy it for different reasons. Therefore, they're buying something different. And uh, unless you're selling what the customer's buying, there's a real disconnect with the customer and they're less likely to buy. Now, this is reinforced not just by me saying it, by Harvard Business School, Brian Tracy, Malcolm Gladwell, Kawasaki, even back to Zig Ziglar, all say the same thing. You know, if people were buying phones, the phone companies would simply advertise phones. They don't. They advertise all the stuff that the connectivity gets you what the phone brings you. That's what people are buying. So if they just went out and advertised phones, they wouldn't sell anything like the number that they do. There's been a lot of studies done with football, both American football and soccer, which demonstrate conclusively that when the teams advertise the game, they got smaller crowds, sold less concessions and less merchandise than if they sold the event as entertainment. If people wanted to watch football, they would just watch it on TV. Martin, I hope that makes some sense to you. A copy of my book is on its way to you. We here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show are all about helping small businesses to be more successful and more profitable. Remember, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at bobpritchard.com, sign up for my newsletter, email me, tweet me, become my friend on LinkedIn, and tell me what it is that you want me to talk about. That's it from me today. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to being with you again this time next week, and we will allow for daylight saving in most of the places around the world. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.